I'm Tyler. I'm JT. I'm Pete. I'm Craig. And we're breaking down another horror movie on Scared Smithless. Enough time for one more story. Welcome back, everybody. On today's episode, Halloween. Literally the title Halloween. Right. Yeah. It's a Halloween episode. Uh Uh-huh. What better way to welcome in All Hallows' Eve than... The night he came home. With ghouls and goblins. The OG Michael Myers. The unkillable, the desolate one. What's funny, when you watch this movie, it's hard to believe even the people that made this movie would have thought that it would be what it is today. No. Yeah, like even John Carpenter didn't think it was going to be. It was just like, it was like a simple, like the executives wanted him to make something, something about like a serial killer stalking babysitters. Yeah, he did it on a dare. (laughs) No, not necessarily. No, he didn't. But, um... I think it was because they liked his uh, last movie that he did, Assault on Precinct 13, because that was a tight budget movie also, technically an action movie, because this was not this was not a very big budget movie either. This was like a 300000 and they spent, well, I'll get into that here in a minute, but wow. it was just a simple, just simple concept, except uh, the movie was actually supposed to take place within a couple of days, but because of the budget and everything else, they had to uh, make it on like one night. Scariest night of the year, Halloween. What better which, night? Yeah, which John Carpenter said had never been done before. Spent about ten days writing it. I don't remember how they came up with the money. I've heard, I've read like different stories. I don't think it's true. Like one was John Carpenter knew a guy who was producing a movie that had Lawrence Olivier, and supposedly they were spending about three hundred thousand dollars a day working with him, which I find very hard to believe. But that's how supposedly how they were able to get that money. Mustafa Akkad was the producer who yeah, finally he, greenlit this. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the one project. Yep, came up with the idea of. He's actually, I believe it was either him or the other executive. I can't remember his name. R.I.P. Right? I didn't so. didn't he die? I th- he died in a, a car accident. I think you're right. How old was John Carpenter when he directed this? He, I believe, was 30 years old. He wow. Was not very. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so many interesting facts about this movie mm-hmm. like the theme that everybody knows yeah. everybody's do, do, heard do, do, do. right yep, john carpenter came up with that himself yep he did it and i think it was like three days or something yeah maybe four or five not, not very many days it's amazing how many hundreds of thousands of dollars go into the score mm-hmm. for a film yeah. And how he just picked this out on a piano, and it's much more memorable than a lot of other Yeah, like even Friday good the 13th. Movies. Right. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say that was a good movie, but... 1978, um, written by Carpenter and, and his De- girlfriend yeah. at the time. Yeah, Deborah Hill. Uh, Hill. Yeah. Deborah Hill. I almost said Deborah Kerr. I'm like, it's not it. Oh, that's one way um, to strengthen your relationship. Yeah, she... Uh, yeah, I think they actually broke up, like, a couple years after this, but... <laughs> Anyway, um, I'd like to hear the story behind that. Right. Yeah, I would, he he came up with majority of the story. She actually, I read that did basically the dialogue for the uh, for the girls, pretty much. I'm gonna be honest with you, not to sound chauvinistic, the dialogue in this movie is my least favorite part. Yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty cringy. Yeah, right when I read that, and I'm like, 
Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> So 1978, this didn't, this wasn't the first slasher film, but this definitely put, yeah, put it on the, that subgenre yeah. on the, on the map. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, and then just, I mean, from the, the music to the, the mask, there's, I mean, we could do, we could do an entire episode talking about the making of this movie without talking about the movie itself at all. I will, I will say this though, the, uh, the mask idea, it was originally between a clown mask which that's what they use at the beginning, mm -hmm. and also between a uh, William Shatner Star Trek mask, which they uh, they liked that better because it was such a blank looking face. They just cut out the eyes, dyed the hair brown, and then painted it. I believe it was called a fish belly white. Yeah, and a lot of people don't don't realize that probably even fans of the film that the mask worn by Michael Myers is actually William Shatner, mm -hmm. Captain Kirk. A yep. face mold, or just like a yes, uh, just a mask that you would buy at a Halloween yeah, store. It was like I, I think I if you wanted to like dress a... up like Captain Kirk for Halloween. Yeah. How much money has he been making off these? Off this? Yeah, I wonder if he gets residuals. Oh, I this. better. Yeah, I never really I'm, thought about that. Or you're gonna see the real Michael Myers <laughs> if I don't get my check. Yeah, they only bought that mask. I think it was for like two bucks or something. Bill right. Shatner takes no prisoners. Uh, nope. I need all ninety one dollar ninety nine cents. <laughs> This was this was not well received though when it first came out, right? Or am I thinking uh, of something else? Because of the I think it I think it was pretty well what? received at the time. Oh. I think I think there was like a one old showing um, before it was like theatrically released, and it had to do with the music not being in it yet. Like a test audience. Yeah, a test audience. Ah. Some people didn't like really like it, but then we added the music to it. It became scarier to them. Okay, I can. Which see again that. made like the the music made like the big difference. And one and one way to determine the at least popularity of a movie is how many sequels are generated. Just have eleven sequels. Now? I've lost count. Yeah. No. Yeah, John Carpenter actually uh, another thing. Um, he's actually paid altogether like ten thousand bucks, For and then and then got like ten percent of the. Uh, Profit from the movie, so like which ended up being bucks. a, which ended up being the far and away successful. biggest name actor when this movie was made was Donald Pleasance. Yes, and yeah. and he they, was, they were able to somehow get like another like twenty twenty five thousand somehow I don't even remember but for him to be in the movie for, to shoot for like five days. <laughs> another funny thing, um, the only the big reason why he did it is because his daughters saw Salt on Precinct thirteen and really liked the music he did in that. Because John Carpenter the music in that one too, and they're big fans, and they basically almost wanted him to be in a movie that John Carpenter was directing. And he said Donald Pleasance was, you know, a really good guy to work with. He was very professional, and he did it for the kids. Mm -hmm. It's good though. And actually, uh, a couple of people, um, Peter Cushing from some of those old scary movies, also uh, uh, on uh, Grand Star Moff Tarkin. Yeah, from Star Trek, not Star Trek, Star Wars. Seeing of Star Trek as a William Shatner. And then another one, he didn't want to do it because of the price that was going to get paid. And then he also asked uh, Christopher Lee to mm. play in it. But I, I don't know if he, it was either he was busy or he didn't want to do it because of the pay. And after that, from like years later, he said it was the biggest mistake he ever made. Hmm. It's I, always interesting to look back and see uh -huh. actors that turned down roles yep. and what roles they turned down. Mm -hmm. But you could see why at the time, no one thought this was going to be... No, not not the still big success. A viable talked about movie, and it's still it's still to this day one of the most successful in, independent films. So let's jump into this bad boy. Oh boy! 
we open up on one of the most famous one takes in cinema history. So right from the get-go, the cinematography and film editing didn't really stand out to me as a whole throughout this movie, but you can't look up famous one takes without this opening scene coming up. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is everything was filmed without a cut. The entire intro. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're moving around, you're going to all different places, and Mm -hmm. being not just that, but the fact that this was such a low-budget film, you read stories about how they were literally moving lights inside this house. Yep. Up the running up the stairs with lights as mm-hmm. they were around the corner, moving lights from one shot to the next one, even because they weren't going to cut. Because of budget, yeah. And a big and a big another big reason why it was such three hundred thousand. They also they spent like half of it on the cameras. I think it was I want to say it was thirty five millimeter just to make it just more wider mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. In the scene also was one of the first scenes to uh, be recorded. That whole not really POV shot because I've done that before, but um. It was off of its um, tripod, and they were carrying the camera around like that. Oh, kind of like Blair Witch. It's just something like that, except it's not a tape recorder. So this is a, we get a POV shot um, of a house in Haddonfield, Illinois, fictional town. It is Halloween night, and the POV shot comes up to the house, walks around the corner of the house, looks in through the window. Uh, We see a teenage girl and boy making out on the couch. They go upstairs, and the shot continues around to the back of the house, comes in through the back door. Yes, um, to the kitchen. Into the kitchen, opens a drawer. You see a hand come and grab a knife out of the drawer. That hand's actually Deborah Hill that did that. I okay. did hear that. I yeah. thought that that hand looked really, like, scrawny and just... Well, it was, uh, the idea was that it was a, a, a young boy, a little boy's hand, but oh, it was no. it was Deborah Hill, the co-writer. It's my good hand. <laughs> It's my strong arm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the, the the teenage girl and boy had gone upstairs to make Whoopi. Yep. He's coming downstairs. It was a very quick after, session. After like 30 seconds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good for you, man. Yep. Yeah. Hey. yeah. I, I like it when he's leaving and she's like, okay, you going to call me tomorrow? He's like, yeah, sure. It's <laughs> like, he's not going to call. <laughs> so the POV shot tracks up the stairs Picks up a mask and puts it on. So now you're seeing the POV shot through eye holes. So whoever we're following is obviously wearing a mask. Goes into the room where the teenage girl is brushing her hair. Completely nude. I wanted to say that. Is that a thing? Yeah. Well, yeah, when they get out of the shower. She was not in the shower. Oh. (laughs) You're right. She was not. So she looks over and sees whoever this is and says, Michael and... Michael starts stabbing and staring at the knife in his hand while he's doing it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So kills her, goes down the stairs, walks outside where a car's pulling up out front. It is the parents. They say, what what have you, what what, what have you done? And they take the mask off and then we come out of the POV shot and we show it's just a a young looking boy, probably like six, six years old. And no one's in a clown costume. Bonding. Yeah, that, that was that was weird. The, yeah. This is his mom and dad. Michael, what did you do? Yeah, he's standing yeah. there with a bloody knife, and they're just standing there. Yeah, and this staring whole, at him. And this whole shot was made to look like it was one solid shot. Mm-hmm. I think the only cut was when he put his mask on. Yes, I think that was it. That but was it, was, it. It, was, it was it was well hidden. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking, as the parent, I pull up from whatever party we just came from. I'm guessing there was alcohol. So that right there, I'm probably already. 
a little drunk and I pull up and my son has a butcher's knife with blood on it, I'm not just gonna huh, stare at him. I'm gonna like probably yeah, beat him. Yeah, then go to town. Yeah. Get back in the car and drive away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to that party. Nope, nope. <laughs> Not today. Yeah. It's your fault, Patrice, that we left early. <laughs> Patrice Myers. Yeah. What was her name? Judith? Deborah. Deborah. Deborah My Myers. Yeah. Yeah. It's your fault, Deborah. So this is this is obviously Michael Myers as, right. as a child. So this is, and he just, uh, he has just a blank look on his face. He doesn't kind look upset. He doesn't look happy. He just, right. which is kind of his MO, right. which I think is what plays so well to why he's become such... Right. An kind iconic, void of emotion. Villain. Is there a prequel leading up to how he became so so like? No, Jay this was it. They try to oh, in it's... future installments, and they don't need to. That's no. that's my issue with. We we don't need to know how the monster became a monster. Yeah, it just it just is a thing that's here. So I the... don't need to know how you make hot dogs. I just like them. <laughs> All right, true. I do like I do like a good hot dog. I don't know. I don't want to know why Jaws eats everybody. A and W has the best hot dogs. Do they? Oh, yeah. Really good hot dogs. Good to know. Um, where else? I would argue that Portillo's makes the best hot they dogs. They do have some good <laughs> hot dogs. They also got some good ribs. Uh, so back to our movie. We jump ahead how many years, Peter? Fifteen. Fifteen so years. Present day. So oh, well, present day, right. When this yeah. movie was made, this would have been present day. And we are in Smith's Grove, Illinois, at the Smith's Grove Sanitarium, or on the road leading to Smith's Grove Sanitarium. And we're introduced here to um, Dr. Samuel Loomis, who is a psychiatrist, psychologist, a sure. crazy person doctor. Okay. He's driving, um, it's a rainy night, and he's, he's riding in a car with a nurse, and there, there, we get a little bit of exposition here. He's explaining how he is Michael's doctor. They're going to pick him up because he is going to be... Uh, in, like, court or something. Right, he has a court date. I never understood that. He has to go before the court, or he has to leave his penitentiary, go before the court, and then come back to the penitentiary. Because it's the law. It's, because it's the law. Well, right, I think there's these, <laughs> it's it's just a... Formality? Yeah, required yeah. hearing that you have to be, go and then have your doctor, you know, explain why you're fit to return to society, or not in this case, because um, the nurse says at one point, why, she asks that question, Craig, she says, why do we have to do that? Why? What's the point? Because he says, oh yeah, he never needs to be let out ever yeah. he says i've worked with him for 15 years there's no reason to let him out and she says well what's the point of going before the judge though and he, he says something along those lines of just, hey, just listen woman it's how the, it's how it's how <laughs> it's how the court system works we we just have to do it but basically saying we're going to put him before the court and i'm going to tell the judge he does not need to be let out and then we put him back in i like i like how he calls him it yeah. it just and she's like yeah. saying, "Oh, you you should show more compassion." He also like chopped his family up. So yeah. Um, and then and we get we get more exposition from Loomis as as the movie goes on. So they pull up to the sanitarium again. It's dark. It's like a storming out. It's kind of hard to see, but you see a bunch of people in hospital gowns. Yeah. This walking is, around. This is really weird. And she's like, "They let them outside." Is that a um, thing? No, no, they don't. Okay. So she's what's happened like, is somehow they've been. Got out. Yeah, they've yeah. gotten out and they're roaming around the grounds now. So Loomis gets out to open the gate because he's he's in a panic at this point. One of the inmates climbs on top of the back of the car while Nurse Chambers she rolls a window down because that's what you would do in a mental yes. facility where everybody's gotten loose. Right. Yeah. Whoever this is grabs onto her 
through the window. She gets away, slides across the, the front seat to the passenger side, and then a hand comes down, smacks the window, and breaks it. I'm, I'm calling. I'm crying foul on that one. I don't think you can break a window with an open open hand slap without the boogeyman with the, can without harming yourself. There's no blood or anything like that that we saw. Because he's it's the boogeyman. Yeah, he was scary. So she is able to get away. She jumps out of the car. This figure, which they call the shape, <laughs> he obviously had a name back then. But in even in in, in credits, it's called the, the shape. shape. The shape climbs off the roof of the car, slides into the car, and drives away. Hmm. Yep. Did he go by the shape at the sanitarium? That's what they called him? Or was he that become our killer? It was an old football nickname. Oh. Huh. Good grief. She looks like she's aged horribly. Anyway, most of this is is played by... uh, She looks like a man. It's uh, played by Nick Castle. It was a a buddy of uh, John Carpenter's. Right. Didn't he get paid like... 20 bucks a day. 25. $25 a day. Yep. Buddy, yeah, buddy of his from USC. It was him. One guy was a, a stunt double. And then um, a couple other people just for like adding in like a couple other shots. But it was mostly he wanted Nick Castle. Is It was because he liked the way, it sounds weird, but he liked the way he walked. His posture? Like the way yes. he was put together. <laughs> yep. Right. And then it was played by one other person. Tony Moran, I guess. I don't know who that is, but we'll get to him a little bit later while he played him. How does that casting call work? Like, when you're preparing for this role, would you, like, walk to one end of the room? All right, walk to the other end. (laughs) Brilliant. Mm, That's right. (laughs) We then jump back to Haddonfield, Illinois. It's Halloween day. It's the morning of Halloween. We're introduced to Jamie Lee Curtis's character. And this, was this her first... I believe this was her first movie. Her first movie. And her mom and dad, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, a.k.a. whatever her name is, in a Psycho. Which I think okay. it's... Stay tuned. Yep. Gonna say, uh, I Crane. Marion Crane. Yeah. I was going to say, she, uh, I think John Carpenter wanted somebody else, but then uh, ended up casting Jamie Lee Curtis. Just more of a uh, homage to, uh, to Janet Lee. Her mother. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they had to... Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis went on to a very successful acting career. Oh, yeah. Huh? And her mom was always the V-star then? Uh, what else was she in? Yeah, the psycho lady. That was it? Oh, well, no, she's she most well-known for. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Jamie Lee Curtis plays Lori Strode. She is a high schooler. Yep. Mm, she's a decent eight. Maybe like a low eight. 8.26. Yeah. She's all right. Um, she is uh, walking to school. Her, her dad, who's a real estate agent, Tells her to make sure she puts the key to the Myers house under the mat because he'll be showing that house, which is yeah. the house from the beginning of the movie yep. where the murder took place. Lori meets up with Tommy, Tommy. Doyle. Doyle? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. He's what? Eight, uh, sure. Eight, nine years old. Yeah. Um, it's a boy that Lori babysits. So he catches up with her on the walk to school. He clearly thinks it's a thing between them. <laughs> that seems like does it to he? Me. I don't know. I bet a lot of young boys at that age think that. Yeah, he's talking an awful lot about the boogeyman to be trying to impress an older right. yeah. woman. Well, he doesn't talk about the boogeyman just yet, though. Because of his stupid friends talking about it later to him. Mm-hmm. Oh. So she, they're talking about how she's going to be babysitting him that night. They're going to watch scary movies and carve pumpkins. Yeah. Which is what every senior or junior in high school wants to do. Well, uh, for babysitting Lori does. Money. Right, but if he thinks that he has a chance in heck with this girl, he's going to have to pull out more than carving pumpkins and 
apple cider. And being nine years old. Uh, so uh, we cut back to the Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Loomis is yelling at... He's unhappy. The doctor at the yeah. sanitarium, Dr. Mm-hmm. Wynn, about Michael escaping. Loomis is very, very, very concerned. That's kind of his motivation throughout this entire movie. He knows what Michael is. He knows what Michael is capable of. No, if it's good. thought of Michael being out and about. Yeah, even, even after he, he escapes, he says, he tells that nurse, it's gone, the evil is gone from here. Right. Which we don't know what he means by that yet. Right. But. Right. So Loomis is now on a mission. He, he even says to the doctor, because the doctor's God. like, well, I don't know where he would have gone. He says, well, he jumped in the car and he took off. And he says, well, I don't know how he did that. He doesn't even know how to drive, which is a good point. He obviously does know how to drive. but Yeah. Okay. The only explanation could be like uh, Loomis probably drove him as a kid, like to, you know, like to oh. hearings and, you know, like whatever he had to drive him to. So he probably was maybe like paying attention the entire right. time. And accidentally taught him how to drive. Yeah. It, it, yeah. This is all Loomis's fault. It is. Yep. Yeah. Loomis gets Break blamed on the left and... a few different times in this movie, which is funny. Because he's the only one that realizes how serious of a situation this is early on. And then I think but it's all later in the movie, I uh, he kind of how? seems to be the brunt of the blame. How, yeah. All right. So first off, it's not Loomis's fault that he was out there on the front lawn of the sanitarium. It's that 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 nurse's fault that she got out of the car and let him drive off. This isn't Loomis's fault, in my opinion. Except for accidentally teaching Michael how to drive. Oh mm-hmm. uh, yeah, <laughs> you absorbed it through osmosis. Yeah. So Loomis, um, he's telling them that uh, he's going to go back to, to Haddonfield. What if you? I'm so proud. He knows <laughs> how to drive. So Loomis is going to Haddonfield. By himself to track down Michael, because he's the only one that seems to be understanding how serious of a situation this is. Uh, back to Haddonfield, the uh, Lori is in class. She's in school, and she's kind of zoning out. So she looks out the window, and she sees Michael Myers standing out there. We, this is his first appearance in the in the mask. Now, after she drops the key off... So, uh, I, I forgot to mention, when Lori uh, drops the key off at the Myers place... Tommy tells her, oh, that's a spook house. Don't go up there. And she's not afraid of it. She thinks that's silly. So she goes up, puts the key under the mat, and we get a shot from inside the house. Looking out the window of the door, um, we see the shape. Right. All right, now I get it. It's like, yeah, Tommy, it's not not a haunted house. It's a crack house. (laughs) Spook house. Yeah. Seriously, I don't know how that... Can a place like that look like that crappy in like 15 years? I guess if you... Not like the... Maybe if they're not doing upkeep on like the the paint, or if it used to house evil, um, yeah. was it on top of an old Indian burial ground? Right, well, yeah. Illinois. The evil, <laughs> the evil's making it decay faster. Yeah. That entire state is on an Indian burial ground. Look at their economy. This is our first view of him, the mask on. And oh, it, it, I mean, oh, it's, it was creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. She's obviously. Well, like, Off-put. Oh, yeah, I'm like cool. it's it's far enough away that you kind of have to look and you're like, what is that? So then it's a her, shape. she doesn't realize her mm. teacher's asking her a question. She answers the teacher's question. She looks out the window again, and he's gone. He's not there. Uh, I probably owed that dude money. So I'm overthinking. <laughs> Who is that? Uh, after school, Tommy's coming out of school with a giant pumpkin. I don't know. Do they give out pumpkins at school. I suppose. Yeah. It, Maybe he won it. Maybe it was Some, a leftover. Because it is Halloween, so maybe they're like giving them out. You know, like the school had them, and they're yeah. just taking them home. Yeah, he got the biggest one. He did. Yeah, there you go. 
Which I kept, well, I'm like, you're going to drop that at some point. There's no way you're not going <laughs> to well, drop that. And what happened, John Pill? He dropped it. Oh, wait, well. Some was... bullies are picking on him, telling him about the boogeyman. The boogeyman's going to get you. Um, Tommy's trying to ignore them and tries to push past them. And they trip him. He falls and smashes the pumpkin. The bullies... Poor Tommy. Yeah, the bullies take off running. And one of them runs down the sidewalk and runs smack dab into Michael Myers, who grabs him. Don't see his face. No. Nope. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's him from the mm-hmm. outfit he's wearing. And the music. And there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the kid, like, looks He doesn't terrified. do anything. The kid just turns and it, runs away. Who made that sound? Was that a sound effect or was that? It sounded like some, some kind of a synthesizer. Okay, I didn't or know. Or, like, a, when you blow up like... a balloon and you hold it by the neck and you just, like, barely, like, let the air out. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't know if that was someone's mouth making that sound. I don't think so. I don't think that's possible. Can you make that noise, Toronto? Hill? That would be a <laughs> yeah, That's the best I can do. Yeah. It didn't work. We then get another long tracking shot of Michael kind of walking and watching Tommy Doyle as he walks away from the school. Michael like gets loser. back in the car, which is the Smiths Grove Sanitarium vehicle. Yeah. vehicle. Or the uh, hospital. Mm-hmm. Didn't it come from the hospital? Yeah. Drives away. We then get Lori and her friends, Linda and Annie. Yeah. Leaving school. <sighs> I'm not a fr- fan of her friends. No. No, they're very annoying. It's, no. it's these yeah, are parts. Uh, yeah, Linda literally literally says totally like at least half a dozen times in like to like the point where you seconds. can tell they're they're using it to be funny and it's not funny. It's not. Maybe landing. That, maybe that was a way to get for guys to get their girlfriends to go see this movie with them or something. Maybe. Oh, there's a bunch of chick talking in it. <laughs> You'll love it. Come and on, you should go. There's the girls, and they you. talk a lot about nonsense. <laughs> the gr- so the girls are walking home. They're talking about what they're doing that night. Lori and her friend Annie are both going to be babysitting. Lori is much more of the good girl. Yeah, bookworm, intellectual. Right. right. But they're having their, their conversations. If you can make it through their conversations, oh. basically that's all we get out of it, is that they're, Lori uh, needs to get a boyfriend. She doesn't want to invite anyone to the dance. Um, she would rather pretty stay much, home and Pretty read. much conversations that, like, every guy does not care about. Yeah. Or most girls, I yeah, don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. There's no way you're into this. Because Lori's like, mm, okay. Yeah. Maybe in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Different time. It was um, post-Vietnam. During this time, Michael is kind of stalking them in the car. We can see him. And I, I like how many times, the more you watch this film, the more times you're able to see, like, that car driving by in the background. Mm-hmm. Right. It keeps it. It's not the focus of the camera. You can always see it like in the back corner of the screen. Right. That's I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not drawing your attention to it, but if you're if you're watching carefully, you you see that. It's called good filmmaking. Right. But he does uh, drive by at one point, and they notice him, and they talk about, oh, that might be such and so. That looks like such and so's car. Really? There's a big logo on the side of yeah. it that says, right, official use Smiths Grove. Sanitary. Basically, it yeah. doesn't belong to this certain person that you think it is. Yeah, and I'm like thinking, if you know this this person that well, wouldn't you notice that huge logo every time you see them on their vehicle? So, uh, the girls are then walking home, talking about trying to meet up later that night. Linda, they drop Linda off at her house. Annie and Lori are walking, and then Lori sees Michael again standing next to some... Oh, yeah. 
Not a hedge, pretty much. A shrubbery. Yeah. Once <laughs> she gets her friend's attention to look, he's not there anymore. He disappears. He just kind of keeps popping. How popping does up. he do that? He's the boogeyman. Yeah, boogeyman. Oh, okay. Yeah, both answers work every time. Yep. Why? Why can't he die? It's just like he's. It's just like zombie Jason. Boogie. Man. Yep. Just huh. like Zombie Jason. He can disappear and he can do inhuman things because he's Zombie Jason. And he can do it because he's the boogeyman. He's the boogeyman. Huh. Every time. Yep. Every time. <laughs> can he it fly? makes so much more sense. No, that's okay. stupid. Uh, <laughs> think about what you're saying. That's ridiculous. <laughs> think about what you're saying and what we've answered. Okay. Whatever the question is, the answer is he's the boogeyman. John Wick's the boogeyman. He's Baba Yaga. Yeah, he's Baba yeah. Yaga. There's a difference. Uh, yeah. That's the Russian boogeyman. Right. This is American boogeyman. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like that. Lori goes home. She goes upstairs to her bedroom. She looks out the window, and down by the clothesline, we see Michael again. She sees Michael again. Um, and then he disappears, I guess. Cause yeah, that was weird. Cause she was the camera comes the back time. to her face. She's still looking out the window, and then it goes back outside, and he's not there. So did she see him disappear? I don't think so. I think she just looked away, and then he It never showed her. Yeah, it didn't yeah. show her look away. Well, the wind was flapping, so maybe the sheets kind of flipped up, and then he was just gone. That would have been like a cool nowadays At shot. any yeah, point, would any... I mean, I know me... If I think that I'm seeing something, at this point I know that I'm seeing, there's clearly something that I'm seeing, a person. Wouldn't you call, like, the authorities? But then, if you don't have anything to go off of... Well, she thinks she thinks that she's just seeing things. She keeps, she's kind of talking to herself, and she's like, come on, you're just letting the, you know, you're being ridiculous. She doesn't, she actually doesn't really believe that she's seeing what she's seeing either. Hmm. We then get Loomis... Um, calling from a payphone. Payphone at the side of the road. I'm assuming he's talking to local authorities or the the like the the yeah the uh, police in Hattonfield um, about Jason. It says he's still. The sign Mike, says Michael. he's still. You said Jason. <laughs> Michael Myers. And not to confuse that with Mike Myers. Sorry, I'm just. We only this is covered. A Eight Friday the Thirteenth movies. Yeah. We're putting some respect back on his name. Respect. So he's tells him he's he's on his way. He's 73 miles from Haddonfield, and uh, we see why he's stopped here on the road. Um, he walks off the road uh, back by the train tracks, and there is a truck. He finds the the gown that Michael would have had on. Um, there's a truck pulled over to the side, uh, way off of the road, and it's from an auto garage. Yeah. And there's a dead body laying to the side, disrobed. Yeah. <laughs> So that's where Michael's got his outfit. His jumpsuit. Not as iconic as the mask, but that navy blue, yeah, like mm-hmm. auto mechanic yep. jumper is definitely associated with Michael Myers. So I think it would have been funny if every time that Michael disappeared, his clothes fell off of him. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to find new clothes. <laughs> Shows him holding a metal garbage can lid over his head. <laughs> And he disappears again and just goes ching, ching, ching to the ground. <laughs> That would have been awesome. That's the thing about those uh, garage suits. People actually wear those things even now. I've seen people oh, yeah. wear those things. Yep. Lori's friend Annie picks her up in the car to drive them to where they're babysitting that night. They're babysitting in separate houses, but the houses are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. They're driving down the road, you know, you listening know, to Blue Oyster Cult. And you know, also funny yeah. about the uh, smoking pot. But like where where this takes place, this whole movie was actually was filmed in a California, pa- Pasadena. Oh, yeah. Another interesting yeah. note is it definitely looks like the fall season because you see leaves all over the road. This movie had so little money in their budget that they had like two garbage bags full of yep. leaves. 
and they scatter them all over the ground for the shot, and then they gather them oh, back up yep. and scatter them in wherever they needed to for the next shot. Yeah. They used like because there was a lot of grain on the ground. Yeah, yeah. they that used the crazy. same two bags suck. of leaves over and over and yep. over. Again. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. So where I, you see leaves on the ground, yeah, it's the same leaves yeah. throughout the movie. That's the thing. That's they, awesome. didn't, they didn't have money to to locate to like a. Uh, what am I thinking? A Midwest, Midwest sort of a town. Huh. So they had to film. They had to film it there in California. That's actually very cool. I yeah. like that. Good for them. Or pretty much anything east of the Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. So again, this is another scene where several times you can see the car that Michael has commandeered following behind their car. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie freaks out because she sees her dad. They have marijuana in the car. He's a police officer. So if that's the case, why are you even pulling over? Right, that's, I thought yeah, about like that. Like when she says, oh no, it's my dad, and it shows out the front windshield, they're like three blocks away yeah. from where his police yeah. car is pulled over. Yeah. And on top of that, he's on the job. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, way. yeah, it's just like just drive by to sort of wave, and that's it. Right. So they pull up to the drugstore where he's at, an alarm has gone off. Someone's stolen a mask and some knives from the hardware store. So the alarm's going off. Here's what I didn't understand. We've yeah. seen Jay. Uh, gosh, darn it. <laughs> We've seen Michael several times already in this movie with the mask on. Yeah. I if he stole it from this drugstore and set the alarm off, has the alarm been going off for like four hours? Yeah. Right. That's a, yeah. I, I, I mean, I the farthest back too, you like... go with it is when Lori's sitting in class and she looks out the window. Because I think the shot from behind where Michael's in his old house and Lori doesn't see him, but he's looking at her through the, the door window when she drops off the key. I don't think he had the mask on at that point. Or I can definitely, if you want to argue that he didn't, I can believe that. But when she's sitting in class, looking out the window, when she first sees him, he ha- he definitely has the mask yeah. on. That would have had to be several hours before this. Has the store yeah. just been sitting there with the alarm going off yeah. for... Yeah, that's you, seriously... Five hours? It, it, yeah. it, it, it would have made more sense. I mean, it was supposed to be for humor because she's... Ta- what's her name? Lynn, not Lynn's Annie. Supposed to be talking to her dad and they're trying to shout to each other because they can't hear anything. But still, it's just like, realistically... He just would have been there with the alarm not going off. So, you know, still there trying to figure out stuff. But, yeah, it's just like <laughs> that alarm would have been going off yeah. all day. Right. Um, we, see that we see we see Loomis walk up after the girls leave. He introduces himself to, is it the sheriff? Yes. Yeah, Sheriff Brackett, which is mm-hmm. Annie's father, um, kind of explains. He said, I, I need to talk to you about something. And during, dur- uh, so the, the sheriff says, well, give me a few minutes and then I'll, I'll meet with you. So we see Loomis standing there. We see the car again with Michael pull onto the road and drive right past Loomis from behind where right. Loomis isn't looking. Yeah, so when Loomis first gets to town, yeah, he meets with... Uh, Toodles. <laughs> yeah, tour guide at the cemetery. I, I don't know like, what he's doing. I don't know person. Yeah, caretaker. Groundskeeper, right. He's trying to find Jason's sister's grave. For some reason, he thinks maybe that's where Jason's gone. That gravestone, that tombstone has been stolen, which confirms for Dr. Loomis that this is that Michael definitely has come back to Haddonfield. There is no, there is no way without like a... Pickup uh, truck? Yeah, a truck yeah. and a chain and... Whatever they winch. Yeah, it's like there. There's no way. Unless and no have. one else knew anything about it. There's no tire tracks or nothing. He just grabbed that thing and yanked it out. Yeah, because he has boogeyman strength. Yeah. I guess yeah. so. He was like, it, it has to be the kids. And then what? It would have been better. Those <laughs> kids. He was t- that guy was like t- kind of starting to tell like a creepy story while they're like walking yeah. up to it. Oh, I wanted to hear the end of that. Yeah, it said something like. Oh, yeah, about, like, some years back. I mean, every town has sort of this weird thing going on. And some years back, some guy, like, 
Just you know, like, snapped, yeah, I just went, went to his tool shed, got a hacksaw, came back into his wife family, goodbye, and, and then, then he gets interrupted. Thank you, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> interrupted the awesome story. That might have been better than this story. Uh, right? Could have like, been. It was shaping up to be better than this story. I was drawn in. <laughs> Understand with this movie, and part of what makes this movie work is it's a slow burn. There's a lot oh, yeah. of things a, happening, yeah, a lot a of build up, yeah. kind of waiting for something to happen, and actually to the point where it builds up so much that when when it finally does happen it's almost like a relief you right. like you almost feel this sense of relief when it finally yeah. and it boils keeps, over right and I mean, it keeps teasing you yes where you're like oh it's gonna happen and then it's nothing happens right mm-hmm. it, it the whole movie is just basically terror the whole time yeah. right yeah so we jumped ahead to um that evening Lori is babysitting tommy the thing from another world is playing on yeah. tv at both both houses that are being babysat annie that and Lori. Awesome. Is that a Stay Tuned? The Thing? Yeah, The Thing from Another World. Oh, the old one? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, if you uh, we, yeah, we covered... The um, Thing. Yeah, right. John Carpenter's yeah, Thing. The remake. Which he made right after he made this. Yeah, that he was a big was a big fan of that movie and the... Howard Hawks. Mm-hmm. Who also did Real Bravo, that John Carpenter also... It was a... Uh, remake. Remake. Sure, sure, a remake of Assault on Precinct 13, hmm. which he also did. So we cut to that night. Lori is babysitting Tommy. They're watching the thing from another world. She's knitting it, isn't she? <laughs> At some point, she is knitting. Yeah. Man, she is a she's a loser. <laughs> I'm not sure how else to say it. But she's going to be a warm loser. I guess that's true. Her friend Annie is next door. They talk on the phone about meeting up later about her uh, Annie's boyfriend. Lori lets slip to Annie that she likes a boy from school. So Annie is running with that information. She calls Lori to tell her. Hey, I talked to Ben Tramer, and if you wonder why I remember the name Ben Tramer, the the boy who doesn't even appear on this movie that Lori said she has a crush on, it's because he he actually is in the second one. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say it. Let's not ruin it just yet. yet. Yeah. yeah, wow, it's uh, that, but it's Ben Tramer is a name you're gonna want to know. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, she's... so she calls she, Annie calls Lori to say, hey, I I ca- called Ben Tramer and told him. Um, That's a that you like name. him. Ben Tramer. Loomis and Sheriff Brackett go to the Myers home around this point to investigate. See if he she- happened to be there. Yeah, Sheriff Brackett is skeptical at this point about Dr. Loomis and his story about the crazy Myers boy coming back. Um, but they go look around inside the house and find a dead dog. Doesn't show it. No, but... Or a skunk. Sheriff Brackett says... Still warm. Still warm. And Loomis replies, he got hungry. Yikes. Ugh. (laughs) Good grief. People people eat dogs. So they go... Yeah, they go... As they're looking around the house, we get uh, a little bit more from Dr. Loomis, which might be... This this is the best dialogue in the movie. Mm -hmm. Dr. Loomis explains how he first took over Michael's case when Michael was six years old basically said when when I started working with him I spent I spent the first eight years eight years trying to reach him and I've spent the last seven years trying to keep him locked up because the more I worked with him the more I would look at him in the eyes I realized that there was nothing there but evil he was just blank expressionless he had no personality he doesn't talk the only thing that I can see when I look in his eyes is just evil he doesn't he has no concept the, the blackest eyes he said yeah Eyes like a doll. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The doll's eyes. We're all losers. <laughs> but he, um, 
so this this is explains how he has no concept of right or wrong, good or evil, no moral sense of anything. Um, he's he's just simply it was it was a good it was it was good good acting. Yeah, yeah. it's just it, it it that that just seems to have been like more scary than like oh you know he's doing this because of this. It's like he's just doing it just because he's just pure evil. It's almost kind of like a Heath Ledger, Ledger's The Joker on The Dark Knight. Yeah, it's like he, there's like really no rhyme or reason why he's doing all that stuff. He just want he just wants to, to do it. Yeah, he's just doing it just Some to do it. Some men want to see the world burn. I I guess <laughs> it's from from The Dark Knight. Yeah, I yeah, gotcha. I know we just said that. But <laughs> <laughs> so Sheriff Brackett says he's gonna go. Um, he's gonna go look around some more. Because um, he, he references putting the word out there to look out for this person. And Loomis says, don't do that because everyone's going to start seeing him everywhere. Oh, no. On top of that, it's Halloween, so everybody's dressed up anyway. Yeah. Loomis just doesn't want to take any more of the blame than he has to. He doesn't want people to know. Loomis says, he was here once tonight. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to come back, so I'm going to wait here. The fewer people that know he's about got, my mess up, the better. He's got enough blood on his hands. This could be my job. Right, and this is where, is this the part where Sheriff Brackett tells, tells Loomis... Yeah, that's a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. We go to Annie babysitting, talking to Lori on the phone. Oh, this was when she was talking to him about Ben Tramer. She spills apparently oh. popcorn butter on her clothes, so she strips down almost completely naked. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, in a at a house that's not even your own house. In the kitchen. In the kitchen, right? And Michael's watching from outside. I also was watching. <laughs> He knocks over a potted plant. There's just so many scenes where, again, this is, bear with us because we get there, but there's so many scenes in this movie where it just, it is a slow burn. It is like it's building up to something. Yeah, okay, not quite there. We're leading up to something. Nope, we're not there yet. So we see Michael. Michael is around this entire time. So as the audience, you're seeing Michael in the shadows. You're seeing him in the background. There's so many scenes where someone walks across the doorway and as they pass across the doorway, suddenly there's Michael standing there in the background. So it plays really well right. when I you're like watching it. the movie. It's like a, Alfred Hitchcock once called this like his bomb theory. He's like, okay, here's a scene. It lasts for about five minutes, then an explosion happens. It's like, okay, let's do the same scene again, except this time we know that there's a bomb in there where, where the characters are at. You know it's about to go off, and that just builds up the suspense. It's like... So with Michael, you already know the danger with him. You know he's just a crazed maniac. Mm -hmm. And as an audience, it's like, that's what builds up the suspense and the tension and everything else. Because you already know he's dangerous. You know there's a bomb there, but you don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. exactly. That's exactly what's happening here. So the, yeah. it's, the tension is building and building to the point where it's almost suffocating. Right? You're watching this yeah. movie and you really are on the edge of your seat. But nothing has really happened. It's still these characters just acting as they would with c completely oblivious to the the danger that's lurking just around the literally a lot of times just around the corner from where they're at so that's what's that's what works so well in this movie is the, uh, the crappy dialogue and it's not it's not a perfectly made movie but mm -hmm. this uh, the idea of s suspense and really tension mm -hmm. more than anything that because you're seeing what's happening you as the audience know what danger these teenage girls are in and they have no idea. So it's, I mean, it's almost like predicting the future. You know, the idea of, have you ever seen this before, like on the internet where it says like, hey, look at these pictures of these people moments before they tragically died, where it's yeah. like someone doing some yeah. stupid stunt and it's right. like this person hanging off the edge of this cliff um, and right after this picture was taken, they lost their grip and they fell to their death. Good. 
which is, but that feeling you get when you look at pictures like that right. where you're you're just kind of like oh it's it's almost it's uncomfortable to look at it and that's what's happening here. yeah but and even when you're looking at the type of thing that we're just currently talking about like it's gonna happen like why why even do it? you know it's not going to end well Right. So, but I mean, if you just jump right in and right away from the get go, you're killing people. I mean, so there's some character development, even though you you don't care about the the characters. No. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is, I guess, you're kind of supposed to. You don't really care about the other two. No, not really. But it's still so so. It, I had a conversation with somebody about this movie one time where we were. It, it was the idea of character development and how movies develop characters. I guess a little bit in this movie, you're definitely developing their characters and kind of learning their, uh, what you know, what they're like and their personalities a little bit and things like that. But this is more, I think, more than the idea of this movie working because of how well they develop the characters, which I, I don't really agree that they that that's an exceptional part of this movie. It's just that idea of knowing that danger is just around the corner and the people you're watching on the screen have no idea that it is. Mm-hmm. So. We have more scenes of of um, Annie and Lori in their house, kind of interacting with um, Annie is watching Lindsay, yes, who's about the same age as Tommy, played by Kyle Richards. Right, went from Little House on the Prairie to this to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, boy. oh. he um, really steps, he steps moved steps. up. She oh she moved up to Beverly Hills. <laughs> Tommy at one point is looking out the window and sees the shape standing across the street at the neighbor's house so he says something to Lori about the boogeyman and she says well the boogeyman's not real she's trying to she's she's actually a good babysitter yeah i'd say so like her counterparts right (laughs) annie gets a she gets locked and when she's trying to wash her clothes out in the what is this like a it's like a water yeah yeah laundry house or laundry i I didn't know phone rings uh, Lindsay finally answers the phone. It's Annie's boyfriend. Uh, who, uh, John Carpenter yep. cameo, by the way. Yep. That's actually John Carpenter talking on the phone. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Lindsay comes to get Annie. She gets her out of the laundry shed. Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't remember. Right. Laundry house or something. So she comes in, talks to Paul, her boyfriend, finds out Paul's parents are out of town. So he wants Annie to come pick him up. So I'm telling you all this to explain how the logistically we get set up for our final act, which I promise you we're getting there and this is where rubber meets the road. So Annie takes Lindsay over across the street to Tommy Doyle's house where Lori is babysitting him so that Lori can babysit both Tommy and Lindsay so Annie can go pick up her boyfriend, Paul. So she drops Lindsay off with Lori and Tommy and then she goes to get in the car. Is this the parents of the girl she's babysitting? Is this Lindsay's parents' car that she's trying to get in? No, no, in that's, no it's her car. Right. Okay, it's, it's her, her car. car. And this is a blink and you miss it moment. She goes to get in the car and it's locked. So yeah. she realizes she doesn't have the keys. So she has to go back inside and get the keys. She comes outside, kind of singing to herself, not really paying a lot of attention. Gets into the car. And if you notice, it's not locked anymore. Right. So she needed the keys for the car. She'd gone in to get them. Um, she realized she needed the keys to the car because the driver's side door was locked. When she comes back out with the keys, the door is unlocked. And again, she didn't even notice. At one point, didn't she start to think about it when she's sitting there in the car? Sitting there in the windows. I think are all so. Right. Down. She gets in the car, and as she's getting ready to start it up, um, she notices that the windshield's completely fogged up. So she reaches up for the windshield. Michael pops up from the back seat, and now we're cooking with gas. Yep. He's choking them. Oh, you're about to say, still not doing anything. He's choking the life out of this poor girl. Yeah, so Michael strangles her. She's trying to beep the horn. 
It's it, this is this is weird because it wasn't until the last I've seen this movie a lot of times, and it hasn't been till the last few years that I actually noticed. And maybe it's because Blu-ray, and we actually watched this on 4K. Awesome. Just throat. a humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's very little blood in this movie actually, but I think Slitzer throat. I never noticed that before. I, I always thought he strangled her, oh. and it's only been in the last few years that I actually realized he does reach up with a knife and slash yeah. at her. It's oh. it's quick, and it's like I said, it's not it's it, this is not like a gory movie. Very little. I mean, if you if it's it's one that seems. If you haven't watched it in a while, you think it's a lot gorier right. than it actually is. Um, there's a little bit of blood, but it's right. always like yeah. after the fact that you see someone that's got like a, a streak of blood on their arm or yeah. something. Okay. Anyway, so Annie did. Tommy is playing a prank on uh, Lindsay, trying to scare her, hiding behind the curtains. Turns around and looks out the window and sees the shape carrying Annie's body Dude. around the corner and back into the house. So he freaks out. Again, by the time Lori gets there, she looks out the window. He's saying, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. And she, he's gone. She doesn't see anything. So, Nobody believes me. <laughs> yeah. Acting is just, it's not great. But that's okay. Linda shows back up with her boyfriend, Bob. He's a real piece of work. Yeah, he is. They are just insufferable characters in this yeah, movie. Yeah, they are. I think Linda is kind of a fan favorite for some people. And, oh. I don't know why for some people. I, I don't understand it at all. But, well, okay, yeah, that's fair. They end up coming into the house, finding out from Lori that Annie and Lindsay aren't there and that Lindsay's going to stay the night across the hall. So they think they have the house to themselves. Again, we see Jason in the background watching them as there's some heavy petting going on. Necking. Sure. So they end up upstairs in the bedroom. Gosh, we can't say this is the 80s. The this is the 70s? Yeah, yes. even, but that was frowned upon big time. In wow, the 70s. you were in like someone else's house That's in the master bedroom. That's a bold move. Yeah. Going, they just going. beer cans everywhere. Yeah. and You lit a jack-o'-lantern. There's a yeah. jack-o'-lantern that's lit on the nightstand. They were missing it could, the bed. It could have already been there. And some Marvin Gaye. Just yeah. Playing in the well, maybe, maybe they lit it. But What uh, are you going to do if they walk in? I'm going to finish what I started. <laughs> this is like, was, what was, are you doing in our bed? I was, like, one I moment, was picturing sir. it like being... I was Could picturing you close it, the door, no, please? No, no. Yeah. Just one moment. I was picturing it being like uh, Hank Hill or something. <laughs> but yeah, man, I can't imagine getting any enjoyment out of that. And whatsoever. then what's your excuse? Oh, we didn't know you'd be home. I, I, this isn't our house. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't where I parked my car. <laughs> so they go back... They're laying in bed together. Linda tells Bob to go get her a beer. Hard pass. <laughs> so Bob leaves. He goes down, gets a beer out of the fridge, and he hears a noise. He thinks there's someone messing with him. This was a pretty iconic moment here. He looks in the pantry. Jason jumps out, pins him against the wall, and then lifts him up and shoves a knife right through his chest, which, however you want to argue, possible realistic this is he's pinned to the wall and then we get the iconic jason takes a step back and does the head tilt admiring his artwork yeah it's like yeah. he's it, it, it is and it was something that was just kind of it wasn't planned and i think nick castle just did that mm -hmm. and john carpenter was like oh my gosh that's perfect and so he's like that that wasn't what was supposed to happen but um nick castle talks about how he for whatever reason thought that would be and it totally works. Weird. Yeah. It absolutely works. I don't know how to even describe it, but he just he just does this head tilt, and it just kind of shows there's just nothing. Yeah. There's nothing there. No he, he has no. 
It's like looking at butterflies that are pinned up Conscience. on, yeah. on like a yeah. on like paper. Or I mean, it, or it just like they, someone you can on. picture someone in an art gallery that's standing and looking yeah. at the paintings, just kind of tilting their head. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's. It's exactly the I, best way to put it. He's admiring his artwork. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, it's creepy. A creep factor in this movie. Ratchets up. Yep. I'm over here thinking though. Would that have held him to the door? All right, that's that's yeah. a question a lot of people have asked. That's I'm like, I, I don't know. Just if you look at the it. knife itself, it's a big knife, but mm-hmm. like, is is that big enough to not only go all the way through his body, but have the handle sticking out and enough of the knife in the wall on the other side to pin him there? Like, that's a strong knife. See, do we have a butcher knife here? Can we like? Uh, that's industrial. Travis don't tell. <laughs> it's industrial though, guys. Yeah, a big one. I don't think it's that big. I think it's about that long blade. That would rip through your. That would. There's the science doesn't support it. it that would. That would rip. It would rip through you. You would eventually. What if it? What if it went right under your rib cage and your ribs were whole? Yeah, but is that where that got him? I don't know. That's kind of what it looked like. Gosh. Well, then, I. I could, I could. Yeah, I could see it. Do, if I thought it was like right here, oh, and I'm like, there's well, like a lot of weight right here, right in the right in the gut. God. The solar plexus. Yeah. That I don't know. It would have been made. It would have made more sense if it was like a katana or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Or a bow and arrow. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Jason goes upstairs. Don't say. Gosh. Yeah, you said Jason a little <laughs> while ago too. You guys can turn this episode into a drinking game. A- <laughs> Every time you hear Tyler say Jason's name in place of Michael Myers, you're gonna have alcohol poisoning before you get to the end of the episode. That's right. We're going to get a, uh, a shocker for Tyler. Every time he says Jason, we're going to zap him. <laughs> right in the nipples. <laughs> he, at some point, he's just saying it on purpose. Why are there two holes burned in your shirt? Don't ask. <laughs> I kept saying Jason. <laughs> Michael goes upstairs. Don't ever say Michael Myers does not have a sense of humor. So he goes upstairs and opens the door. Lori, or, um, um, Linda's laying in bed, and the door opens, and it's, yeah, she's filing her nails. The door opens, who she thinks is Bob, but is actually Michael, is standing in the doorway with a sheet over him like a ghost, and Bob's glasses over top of the sheet. Michael's got a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah, and he still kept the other mask on underneath the sheet. Right. Because it's Halloween. So... Uh, Linda, th- who thinks it's Bob, obviously, is trying to, and, and not getting any response from Bob. So she's trying to joke around with him. He's not saying anything. So she's finally like, well, you're being weird, so I'm going to call Lori. So she calls Lori on the phone. As soon as Lori answers the phone, Michael starts, uh, comes up behind Linda, wraps the phone cord around her neck, and starts strangling her with it. So Lori's listening on the other end as Linda's making um, it, gagging, It sounded like moaning someone, noises. someone was getting busy yeah. on the other end. Right. So that's what Lori thinks is happening. Um, the, the call finally ends. Uh, Michael finally finishes off Linda. She's like yelling at the kid. She's babysitting. Shut up. I'm trying to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael like picks the phone up. Right. And then hangs it up. Yeah. Hello. Oh, then it goes back to the Myers house. Oh, the Myers house. Yes. Right. The, the bullies from earlier. The kids are standing outside sneaking up on the Myers house trying to dare each other to go up to the, to the house. Loomis um, is still watching. Loomis is watching, so he scares the kids away, and then um, he says, "Lonnie, who's Lonnie?" It was, the it was one of the one there. of the bullies. Oh, I didn't realize he knew their name like that. Oh, the kids were, "Come on, Lonnie, oh, are you chicken?" Okay. So, uh, the sheriff comes back again. Loomis, at this point, has noticed the station wagon. This part I didn't really understand. He sees it how where? Long, how long? Well, how long has it been there? Right. Because if you've been here for this long, you and that station around. wagon's been there within sight 
Right. That's Some of these deaths are on you now. Okay, all right. They hear, they hear something else. Oh, boy. If he's not that far away from him, Laurie was, like, walking distance from her own house to get to the Myers house. And apparently this Myers house is not too far from where she's babysitting at. What is the point of them driving the car to where she had to be babysitting at? And it seemed like it took them, like, over two hours to get there. Right. Who knows? I guess it was in Pasadena. Movie's got a movie. Movie's got a movie. So at this point, yeah, this is where Brackett tells Loomis, if this is really true, shame on you for letting it happen. And she was like, what? Your fault. Wow. Way to kick me while I'm down. I'm always trying to make it better. We go back to the, to Lori. She puts the kids to bed. She's trying to figure out what the heck is going on with... Right, because she can't get a hold of Annie. She can't get a hold of uh, Linda. Yeah, it ain't like they had cell phones. Right, but they were at the house, so yeah. someone should be answering the phone. She's looking out the window. None of the lights are on, so she's, she's I'd say, concerned at this point. She doesn't really understand what's going on. So she goes over. She The kids are sleeping, so she goes outside. She walks across the street to go into the, to the house. She walks inside and is looking around. She thinks that they're playing a prank on her, so she's telling them, okay, come on out. This isn't funny anymore. Does she call them meatheads? Yes, yeah, Meatheads. Yeah. This isn't funny, you meatheads. What's that supposed to mean anyway? It, it, it's a, a head of meat. Head made of meat. Yeah. Good old head meat. Stupid. Is it like head cheese? It's, uh, it's, it's, similar. it's very like, similar. You're just, your head's full of dead meat. Oh, I gotcha. That, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's... Oh, so it's like because they're already dead? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. I think we're reading too much I into think this. <laughs> it's a stupid line. I don't Tell. even know why they let that stay in the movie. Don't tell. It was the 70s. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Lori goes upstairs finally when she doesn't find anyone downstairs. There's light coming from the bedroom. So she goes to the bedroom. She opens the door and laying in the bed is Annie's dead body with the tombstone of Judith Myers. Of Judith Myers, which would be Michael's sister, the one mm-hmm. that he yoinked from the graveyard yeah. from yep. the cemetery. Uh, What's the symbolism um, here? Like, which apparently he did with his bare hands. Yeah. I think the idea is he's trying to Recreate. memorialize his sister maybe. I don't know. Huh. I don't know that we go into a lot of I've never I've never gotten a whole lot of info understanding of why this would Michael set this up the way that he did. Because he's crazy. I mean, he's psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, mm-hmm. Laurie finally freaks out. I mean, we're in the last, like, ten minutes of the movie at this yeah. point before right. Laurie finally realizes what's going on. So, she sees the dead body of Bob come swinging down from the closet, the dead body of Linda in another closet. Look like It looked like it's somewhere where you, like, like towels at or something. I don't know right. how she so she, so she screams. She runs out into the hallway. She's trying to catch her breath and, and get her wits about oh, her. Standing be- next best to her. Shot, best shot of the movie. Yes, agreed. We see out of the darkness of the doorway that she's standing next to slowly fade in as Michael Myers' and face all, appears out of the darkness. All that was was just a, the dimmer. That, that it was just the me. dimmer on the camera. Yeah. That's all that was. Yeah. Yeah. So he steps out, somehow suddenly has terrible aim with a knife. Yeah. He, hits her right in the arm. Yeah, hits her. I mean, he, but he's a foot away from her, yeah. swings down on her, and hits her arm, like kind of scratches the side of her arm. She falls over the banister down the stairs, which that should have she, killed her. Yeah, the way she, she fell, some bones. She should have a broken back. Right. <laughs> yes. Maybe she just maybe she tried to land feet first. Yeah. Well, she obviously she got some kind of leg injury because she's limping around for the yeah. rest of the movie. But he's just walking down the stairs. Dump. 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 Yep. Dumps into the kitchen, which dump, somehow dump. has the lock on it. Because she can't get out the front door. Right. And so again, she runs. Break it open. Yeah. Go to the kitchen. 
a door made 75% of glass has a rake up against the doorknob and she takes about six minutes trying to get out, I would have done the flying double foot kick through that door. Yep. Yeah. There are all sorts of items around her that she could have used to break. Yeah. The... Right. So finally, after Michael Myers almost gets her, she gets out. She busts through the glass and moves the rake out of the way. She runs to a neighbor's house, screaming and yelling for help. The neighbors turn on the light and look through the blinds and see Lori out there screaming for help. They shut the lights off and close the blinds. You uh, really, really tapped that bullet really on the computer? <laughs> 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 I was going to say, no, I probably would have done the same thing on and some It's level. probably just them um, thinking it's kids just doing Halloween tricks or something True. stupid. I don't know. Hey, but you'd think that they would know her. Because didn't she live in that area? Judas Beach, Apparently, oh, Apparently not because she had to drive there. But she was right across. Well, right. I guess she, she did drive. Oh, yeah. That's the Doyle's babysitter. <laughs> what you doing over here? <laughs> so, uh, Lori runs back to... The house where she was babysitting, where Lindsay and Tommy are asleep. She's banging on the door. She locked herself out. Yeah, she forgot the key. That's like twice someone, the two female actors. She's considered one of the classic scream queens. I how? Yeah, her. uh, She's definitely scared, and she definitely, I guess, plays it pretty well that she's out of her mind, terrified right Uh now. But ugh, it's it's difficult to listen to her through this part. (laughs) Yeah. It's and it's just kind of nonsensical. I don't know. She doesn't have the key. She gets Tommy's attention, wakes him up from outside he says you need to let me in so he's slowly rubbing his eyes walking to the front door as we see jason (laughs) 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 drink yep all of you drink (laughs) michael walking across the street toward her tommy lets Lori in just before michael gets there she locks the door sends the kids upstairs and notices that one of the windows is open out from behind the couch pops Michael. Lori had grabbed one of her knitting needles off of the table as she kind of was trying to hide down in front of the couch. Michael pops up from behind the couch, swings the knife at her, again completely misses, and jabs it into the couch. Lori turns and stabs the knitting needle right into the side of Michael's neck, so he drops. That would have killed anyone, right? Wouldn't you say? I don't know. Inside the, the neck? In no, the jugular not. area? That would yeah. Well, it depends yeah, on it where. Suck, you, but... you, would, you would be going to the hospital. Well, yeah. yeah. There was no blood either. Not very much blood. Yeah, very little. So, Lori grabs the knife out of the couch. She peers over the back of the couch, and Michael's laying there motionless on the ground. So, she turns back around, slumps down on the couch, drops the knife on the floor. For no reason. All right, goes up the stairs to get the kids, tells them it's okay, and they're like, who was that? And she's, she says, I ki- it's okay, I, I killed him. And Tommy says, you can't kill the boogeyman. And just about that time, the kids start screaming, and she turns around, and Michael has come up the stairs, huh. coming after them again. So she sends the kids into one room and locks the door. She goes into another room on the other side of the hall, locks herself inside of a closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael immediately comes in and is trying to get the doors open, but she's tied, I think, a tie around the inside of it to keep it from opening. He finally busts through the door, and as he's trying to break the rest of the door down, the hangers start falling. She reaches up. Lori grabs a wire hanger, untwists it, and as Michael uh, leans in and reaches inside the closet. (laughs) (laughs) Into his face. (laughs) (laughs) Stabs Michael in the eye with the wire hanger. God. Michael, uh, what should have uh, happened to you in the first place? Lurches backwards and drops the knife 
Lori picks the knife up, and as Michael kind of sits or stands back up into the hole in the door, she stabs him with the knife. I don't show it, but I think she stabbed him in the chest. Yeah. It looked like she stabbed mm-hmm. him in the chest. He falls over backwards. So Lori gets up, looks out the the, the hole in the door, um, holding the knife still, and then she sees Michael laying again on his back, motionless. Walks out of the closet. She again drops the knife right next to Michael. I understand she thinks he's dead, but this, you got to double tap. I don't know, unless she's like trying to like I mean, avoid like any questioning by the police. But, but you also got to think. Well, right. And why the heck? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. He's essentially incapacitated. Knocked out. Why wouldn't you go to town like decapitating this this being? You just saw his head off. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, this, the was, this was like back in the time. I mean, no one's watching us in the theater saying, Oh, no, just kill him till he's dead. I've seen the last... Oh, wait, that I've never seen that in any other movie Yeah, but before. if you chop this guy's head off or hack it off, saw it off with the knife, he gets back up, he deserves an Oscar. He deserves this killing. But at that point, you've shown that you mortally wounded him four or five times and nothing's happened. Take his head off. So Lori goes back out and see, this is where I don't understand this. So she goes out, tell, gets the kids and says, I need you to run. Go out the front door. Run and get go get help. Go to the neighbors or call the cops. Yeah, call the police. Tell them to call the police. And so she stays there. Why I don't know. Why does she not just leave with the police? I think it's just because of her her leg, wounded ankle, whatever Still. it was. Yeah, but my adrenaline's going. I yeah. think yeah. exactly. But then she slumps down in the doorway next to the room where Michael's laying, but she's facing away from Michael, another... Oh, yeah, great shot. Huge mistake. And then you get silent. There's no music or anything. Silently, Michael just sits straight up. I This is a, this is a like, non-human sit-up. Yeah. yeah. He must have, like, some really strong... Hormones? Abs. Yeah. Legs, abs. Legs flat against the ground, and he sits straight up. That's that, good. Doesn't pull his legs up at all, just straight. Just good core muscles. Yeah. Good for him. So he's... Lori finally gathers herself to her feet. She's crying. She's trying to walk towards the stairs. All of a sudden, Mike, she doesn't see him again. She she does not see him because she's facing away from him. So you're seeing like her from the front and him in the background sitting up. Yeah, he's he sneaks up behind her. He grabs her, starts strangling her. She pulls his mask off, which was odd. So the kids go running out the front door into the street, screaming and yelling. Loomis is nearby at this point. Here's the kids yelling, so he realizes that must be where Michael's at. So he starts heading towards the house. And Michael comes up from behind Lori and starts strangling her. She reaches up and pulls his mask off. And so that gets Michael to let go and he grabs his mask. Lori kind of starts trying to crawl away. And we get just this real brief glimpse as Michael kind of turns back into part of the hallway that's lit. And you see his face as he goes to put the mask back on. I don't really know why they felt like they needed to reveal his face. He just looks like a normal guy. That, I no, think that, that was... That was there's some deformities there. No, no, no. It was, his, it was his eye after she poked it, though. Oh, that's why I was That was swimming. it, yeah. Oh, okay. But he's just pretty much that a was normal... Just, that was, I, know that. I think that was the whole point, is because he wanted to show just a completely normal face. It's because it's showing anybody could just, like, this uh, snap. Um, Ted Bundy. There you go. Sure. So, um, as soon as he puts the mask back on, Loomis has made it to the top of the stairs in the house now. He goes all dirty hairy on him. Oh, yeah. He starts shooting Michael. Shoots Michael back into the bedroom. Shoots him like five more times. Michael goes out the upstairs, uh, the the doors that lead onto the the balcony, Mm -hmm. and falls down the balcony, lands on the ground below, shows Michael laying on the ground. Lori, who's obviously basically in shock at this point, turns to Loomis and says, this is their first on-screen appearance together in this movie, the two main characters in the movie. Um, She says, 
that was the boogeyman. And Loomis looks down and says, as a matter of fact, it was. And he walks to the balcony and looks over, and Michael's gone. Mm-hmm. And then we get our main theme again. Um, this was cool. They kind of went back through, and you get shots of the different different shots from the, the house and the other house and all the different places. You're breathing. Yeah, and you hear the, the breathing throughout. And we, we didn't talk about that much, but um, there's def- there's a there's a very distinct breathing noise that you hear coming from under the mask, and it's, it's exactly what it like sounds it, like yeah. if you had a rubber mask yeah, on right. and, and that the breathing you can hear underneath. The opposite of Darth Vader, and a lot more mucus going on there. <laughs> yeah. Roll credits. What a great movie. It was great. Cinema grades. It's hard to not. It's 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 hard to not give this one an A. I mean, I, it was it's not a perfectly made movie. It's yeah. really not, but there's enough to appreciate about it. Um, and then obviously when you take into account it started how popular right, it started at, yeah, exactly. It's, I'm going to give it an A minus okay. because it's a slow yeah. burn and outside of that everything was great. And I understand, but I think that's part of what works so well in mm-hmm. it is that it, it just builds that tension to the point where you almost can't stand it anymore. God sex kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I could see why that John Tell, the, he's like, I don't need a slow burn. Just crank up the heat. Yeah. I got spoiled with our Jason. Uh, yeah, and some of those covering, yeah. killing every yeah. fifty, every thirty that's, seconds. There was a, someone being murdered. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just like this yeah. one. It was like five people. One of them we only see get killed was that trucker guy or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Felt like Cookie Monster trying to get a fix. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh, Craig, what was your grade? I'd give this one. A solid A. It, it was, uh, like you said, it's a slow burn, but it's it's one of those that, that I could easily watch at least at least one or two times during the Halloween season. That's oh, yeah. yeah. No, oh, oh yeah, this is this is a must-watch every year. Yeah. I gave it an A-, minus, just because the dialogue wasn't exactly enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, uh, this spurned, obviously, what, ten sequels, probably? At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and a couple of remakes. Because there is, there's ten, including the two Rob Zombie movies. The one that recently came out. The a one that years recently ago. came out, and then we got another one coming out as of this time in October of 2020. We got one coming out not this year, right? Next year. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Halloween year. Kills or something. Yeah. Halloween Kills. I got something for you guys. I was thinking about this. You know how they have that Freddy versus Jason. I think a better match would be Jason versus Michael Myers. Hmm. I think that was yeah. I no, I'm going with John Wick versus Michael Myers, the two yeah. boogeymen. Just, Baba Yaga versus the boogeyman. Yeah, but we've seen John Wick get hurt. Right. So and Michael Myers doesn't get hurt. Well, the hangers seem to do a number on it. Yeah, him. yeah, his eye, the bumps on it. Interesting. Anyways, um, we for those of you, thanks for those of you that stopped by to visit us last weekend at the Skyline Drive-In in Shelbyville, Indiana, the legendary. Skyline Drive-In at the Pandemonium Picture Show. A lot of fun. Met a lot of people. It was very, very awesome. If you weren't able to make it, don't worry. Uh, Later this month, October 23rd and 24th, we will be there again for the Hammer Film Festival. Looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Good lineup that weekend. Shout out to Joe at the Skyline Drive-In. Look forward to coming back again. If you weren't able to make it last time, like we said, stop by again, get more information in our contests, like and subscribe, join our Patreon, like us on Facebook, send us an email, scaredsmithlesspodcast at gmail.com, send us requests, what do you want to see us cover next? We will we will definitely strongly consider almost anything that would fall into the genre of horror, 
Next week, we will be covering the sequel to the 1978 Halloween film, Halloween 2. Tagline, more from the night he came home. Oh, wow. And then we will close out the month of October with the 2018 remake. Um, looking forward to that one. Those are There's going to be a couple fun episodes coming up. So, and Thank you to Sammy Terry for our awesome intro. Yep. Uh, like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time. Stay tuned. Stay classy. Thanks for dropping by. See ya.